Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I have a very special episode today with a very special guest. I am so excited. He doesn't really need an introduction, but at the same time, he does. When we use the phrase or the sentence, not all heroes wear capes, he epitomizes that vision because he's not wearing a cape. Sometimes he's on a bicycle. Lately, he ran a marathon and he's an entrepreneur and and so much more. He's just such an inspirational person who I'm really grateful to have met a few years ago um, and been an inspiration in my son's life um, as, a, as a person living with type 1 diabetes. It's Phil Sutherland, and it's just such an honor to have him on the show. He was born in Tallahassee, Florida, and he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was only seven months old. That was the youngest case of diabetes on record in the world at that time. His parents were told that he would be dead or blind by the age of 25. Fortunately, they were stubborn and Phil had access to insulin, a knowledgeable medical team, and the latest in glucose monitoring tools. At the age of six, he had the dream to not go blind and his lifelong obsession with glucose began. He used a continuous glucose monitor for the first time in 2006 through a research trial with Abbott. While wearing the new technology, his seven-person all-type 1 diabetic team finished on the podium in second place at the race across America. It's a bicycle race from the East Coast to the West Coast. The following year, he was armed with an increased understanding of glucose management. Bill's team went on to take first place at the event and set a new world record. It was at that moment Bill knew that he wanted to use sports as a platform to inspire people affected by diabetes to chase their dreams. Under Phil's leadership, Team Type 1 rapidly grew from an amateur squad to a global sports powerhouse with more than 100 athletes spanning the globe to inspire and unite people affected by diabetes. In late 2012, Phil and the team partnered with Novo Nordisk to create Team Novo Nordisk. The team is spearheaded by the world's first all-diabetes professional sports team and the athletes race to inspire, educate, and empower everyone affected by diabetes. Back in 2009, Phil knew having constant visibility around glucose was the missing piece for sustaining peak performance in endurance sports while competing with diabetes. He applied for a conceptual patent to bring CGM data to a bicycle head unit or a computer. Phil approached company after company, hoping to make this advancement possible, and it was Chip Hawkins, founder of Wahoo Fitness, who made the impossible a reality when he connected CGM data via Bluetooth to the Wahoo Element Bolt in late 2018. By overlaying exercise data consistently and accurately with glucose data, Phil experienced an aha moment connecting the dots with glucose levels, fuel management, and exercise performance. He says he learned more in 15 days with CGM data on a head unit than he had in the previous 15 years. He also realized that the true value of the supercharged data was not just for athletes with diabetes, but for every athlete across the globe. And out of that, Super Sapiens was born. 
In 2019, Super Sapiens approached Abbott about bringing their technology to the athletic community, and a partnership was soon established. In September 2020, Abbott announced that its LibreSense Glucose Sport biosensor had achieved a CE mark. It is the first CGM approved for non-diabetic use in the world. By combining Abbott's proven track record in glucose sensing technology along with the Super Sapiens app and personalized analytics, athletes are better able to understand the correlation between their glucose levels and their athletic performance. Throughout his career, professional highlights include speaking at the United Nations on World Bicycle Day, leading a session at South by Southwest, and addressing audience at the ADA and AADE. Bill is a dedicated and proud father to four. Along with his wife, Dr. Biljana Sutherland, and their three youngest boys, Bill calls Atlanta, Georgia home. He is a supporter of the High Museum, a former board member of Camp Kudzu, Hope Sports, and JDRF. He is a vicarious reader and enjoys collecting rare wines and watches. Bill is the author of the book, Not Dead Yet, which I highly recommend, which chronicles his life from early diagnosis of diabetes to professional cyclist and his mission to change the face of diabetes on a global scale. And with that, I welcome Phil Sutherland to the show. Hello, Phil, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pam. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I am so incredibly excited and grateful for you to have joined us today or have joined me today. This is really such a exciting interview and I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much for being here. It is my pleasure. Thank you. So I tell a lot of people about you and your story, but it's always, of course, better to hear from you. And so could we start from the beginning and you were quite small when you were diagnosed with type one. So perhaps you probably don't really remember it, but could you tell us a little bit about your story so that people aren't, that aren't familiar with it, know a little bit more about you? Sure. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, okay. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Um, Cause yeah, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes at seven months of, of age. Um, you know, I'd lost, five kilos or 10 pounds in you know, a matter of days, uh, misdiagnosed a couple of times. And my mom, fortunately, you know, had the mother's instinct, knew something was wrong and rushed me to the hospital saying, please fix my baby, please fix my baby. And you know, I was dying, right? You know, it's like, I was, I was, my blue eyes were gray, my breath, I had the ketonic rattle. And I was a seven month old who just lost 40% of his body weight in two day period. Yeah, you know, I was knocking on death's door. And fortunately, a diabetes educator, uh, a nurse who later became my diabetes educator, Linda Owens, came in and smelled my fruity breath and said, we need to check for diabetes. And the doctor said, that's impossible. There's never been a case of type 1 diagnosed this 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 young. She said, let's test. And lo and behold, you know, my glucose was sky high. Uh, they gave me some insulin. Life became to come back. And um, the doctor who was tasked with delivering the news, is this going to sound like he was a jerk, but it was exactly what my mom needed to hear. He said, we have good news and we have bad news. You know, good news is your son's going to live for now. You know, the bad news is you know, he has type 1 diabetes uh, based on age of diagnosis, current standards of treatment, technology, you know, knowledge. Like He's going to die young. If he lives to 25, which he probably won't, he'll either have renal failure or be blind. So you know, here's your insulin. Good luck. And you know, that was obviously devastating, right? But 
fortunately, you know, that was at the time it was squeezing urine out of a, my diaper onto a test strip to find out where my glucose was, you know, two hours in the past. Then, you know, in the early, early 83, uh, blood glucose monitoring became available. And you know, mind you, you put a drop of blood on that was had to be huge, the size of a quarter. Then you wait two minutes for the countdown of the machine and then you get a number. But, you know, my parents were the control group. You know, they would test their blood sugar at different times of the day. They would test my blood sugar. And the thing they learned really early on, which is, you know, 40 years later, still my mentality in life is when I'm active and moving, my insulin works better and my numbers are more like theirs. So that's the reason you know, I got into sport because in the you know late 1980s, type one diabetics were not allowed to compete in sport. You know, it was like the risk of hyperglycemia was too much. And so they said, safer not to exercise. But my parents said, well, if he's going to die young, he might as well live. And, um, you know, pushed me into sport. And my first recollection of sport was swim team, uh, you know, six months or excuse me, the first week I found if I had good control of glucose, I could win and compete. If I did not control my glucose, I would lose guaranteed. And then the magic trick, which I think really kind of highlights how all of us type one, type two, people without diabetes are all exactly the same, that the days that I was in the pool and exercising, it was much easier to manage my glucose. All right. And I was able to start quantifying that, you know, in 1988, uh, as a type one kid that, you know, exercise is really good for me. And so from that point forward, it was just competition was a part of my life, you know, in the doctor's office, you know, back before HIPAA, um, you know, everyone's name and hemoglobin A1C would be written on a piece of paper. And, you know, I would want to see the numbers and I'd want to win. I always wanted the best A1C of everyone in that little notebook. Um, you know, at six years old, I asked my doctor, Larry Deeb, I said, you know, I had A1C of 8.2%. He said, he kind of looked, you know, he's, I said, will I go blind from this? He said, maybe. I said, what's it need to be not to go blind? He said, below seven. But, you know, I said, how do I get there? You know, don't eat food when your glucose is high. Try to have better control. Da, 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 da. So I, I worked for the next three months and I was in the sevens. And will I go blind from this? Uh, you know, maybe. And I said, I want you to say no and keep working. And then another three months after that, I, I had it in the upper sixes. And I said, you know, will I go blind from this? He said, no, no, you won't. And so that's, that was my motivation as a kid. Um, one on the diabetes side, you know, was you know, kind of control that to prevent going blind. And fortunately, it's much different times now. I mean, this you know, much, much different times in technology. People do not have to worry about that, you know, but back then you did. And, and then second was sport. Right? I wanted to win in sport. And so I had to become very laser focused on management of diabetes so that I could compete in sport, you know, checking my glucose 15 to 20 times a day, you know, at 10 years old um, was the key to win because um, you couldn't couldn't just have good control for your competition. You needed good control overnight and then through the day and, and then yada, yada. At 12, I, I got on the bike, um, you know, ironically for candy bars, right? I, I ate a Snickers bar, came home from school. My glucose was 350 milligrams per deciliter, um, you know, 20 some odd millimoles, if that's what you, you go by there. And, you know, I was like, huh, I'll go blind for this. You know, so I was a kid and I wanted Snickers bars, right? So I didn't have the patience to wait two hours for the, what at the time was the rapid insulin to work. So I, was, so I found I could ride my bike to the gas station about two miles from my house, eat a Snickers bar, 
go ride my bike around the neighborhood until my legs you know, kind of started hurting. And then I'd come home and my glucose would be 90. And I was like, huh, all right. And so I kept riding bikes so that I could eat more Snickers bars. Um, eventually got into racing, uh, became a passion of mine. I wasn't good, but I didn't quit. Um, by 18, was eighth place at the Junior National Championships uh, in the U.S. You know, went to University of Georgia. Um, you know, I had an offer to go race professionally in Europe at, when I was 20 years old. But I would have been kicked off my parents, my my mother, because I she raised me as a single mother uh, from the time I was six. Uh, so I would have been kicked off her insurance plan, and we couldn't afford. You know, it was test trips, which were actually the most expensive back then. So I had to turn down an offer to race professionally so that I could have insurance and keep getting my drugs and insulin and test strips. And that was a good thing in hindsight, because the next semester uh, I met a, my buddy Joe. Um, you know, he wasn't taking good control of his glucose through the bike and our friendship. He started to, uh, he lowered his hemoglobin A1C from 11, near 11% down into the sixes. He said, Phil, you saved my life. Thank you. And, you know, that was the reason I started team type one. I, I started helping like reaching out to others in the diabetes community. You know, and mind you, it was very stigmatized disease back then. You know, we didn't, you know, have sensors in our arm to say, yeah, I'm one, I'm one of them. I'm, you know, what's your story? It was, you know, we went to the people went to the bathroom to check their glucose. They went to the bathroom to do their insulin. They did not talk about diabetes because it was a life of everything you could not do. Uh, and as I learned more about how people are struggling, I was like, we could we can change this. And sport could be our platform. Uh, I said, diabetes needs heroes. So, you know, we did a JDRF ride to cure. Uh, you know, told Joe's story in a keynote speech. You know, we were drinking a beverage, cold beverage, in California afterwards. And people said, you guys need to do something big, you know, ride your bikes across America. Like I just graduated college, $70,000 in debt, uh, which was a lot of money back in 2005, a lot, a lot of money. And, uh, and I said, but we could race across America. You know, there's a race. Let's, I could, I could probably manage that. And so that's where the idea came from and put a team together, was able to go to a cycling trade show, raise about $85,000 in product sponsorship, you know, bikes, wheels, um, you know, glasses, helmets, clothes, things of that nature. We had no cash. So my team was kind of like, Phil, like, we know you say we're going to do this, but there's no money. How are we actually going to do it? I said, I'll find the money. That's been a theme of my uh, companies and employees the entire I'll find I'll the money. I'll find it. I promise I'll find the money. <laughs> uh, I know uh, someone else on, on Zoom is laughing right now. Uh, and, and then, you know, lo and behold, I got put on a, a trial with continuous glucose monitor. And this is when my life really changed because like, okay, I had great A1Cs. Like it, once I went to college, I got them below sixes, but I was, I suffered from a lot of hypoglycemia, right? a severe hypoglycemia that it was, you know, I had seizures in the night. You know, I had some mm. weird thing with my eyes that when I would go severely hypo, my eyes would turn to fire. And that, that was what saved me in the night you know, multiple times through colleges because I slept with my contacts, even though I wasn't. And when I, my eyes would turn to fire. Like I've never had a doctor who could explain this to me, but that's how my body kept me alive. Wow. So once I got a continuous glucose monitor in 20 days of seeing all the data, I learned more about what everything did to my body than in 23 years of you know what I thought having really good control of my glucose. And, um, and so I said to my doctor, Bruce Bodie here in Atlanta, Georgia, I said, look, if we're going to do this race across America, you know, it's meant to be positive. It has to be positive. 
You know, we cannot allow diabetes to be our excuse for failure. And more importantly, we can't afford to die in the middle of the country and let that be the story that's told of this oh, team. Oh, no, that would have been horrible. And and so you know, Bruce said, well, Phil, let me introduce you to Holly Culp at Abbott. You know, she's a she's a game. She's a pioneer. She's an innovator. Like she'll get this. She'll sponsor your team. She'll get you this. We'll do the trial. And um, I met Holly on January 25th, 2006. Uh, she agreed to fund my team. and said that they would get us the technology under a clinical trial. Uh, and boom, the dream was real. And kind of the race across America that year is where it all began. Um, you know, I, I can give you chronological more from there to there, but you know, we were on the start line. And mind you, we, we'd gotten the technology the night before the race. We had no idea how to use it you know, in competition. I, I had never once checked my blood sugar on a bike ride in my entire life. So I had no, like I thought I knew where I, my glucose needed to be, but I didn't know what was happening while I was on the bike. Um, so, you know, and before I jump into to that, it was, you know, you should have seen the the looks of people, you know, at that race. You know, I was there to win, and everyone laughed at me. Like a team of diabetics, you're going for victory. They, good luck, kid. And then they would start laughing because it was. No one had ever seen a people, a team of people with diabetes do something like this. Um, and no one believed we could do it, but but we did. And you know, that's what I think makes people diabetes so strong is when you know you can, then you do. And um and, and so we started the race, glucose is all over the place. Uh, we were behind by about two hours behind a team of professional bike racers who had won the race two prior prior times, Vale Beaver Creek, awesome group of guys. But then in Durango, Colorado, we kind of had this realization that. If our glucose is between 140 and 180 milligrams per deciliter, um, we feel really good. And so we started making titrations to stay between 140 and 180. We started going a lot faster. And lo and behold, we got across the country in five days, 16 hours and four minutes. Um, we lost the race by three minutes overall. But oh. for our division, we we won and set the record. Um, and, and so that was kind of the starting point, uh, was able to bring other pharma partners on board. And then at 25 years old, I got to do the race a second time. You know, I had the navigator on for the entire year leading up to it. We all knew what our glucose needed to be. We all knew how to titrate. We all knew we were going to win. And so did everyone else on the start line in 2007. They were scared of the diabetic team the second year, um, which was cool to see how quickly sport could change the perception of you know, a population. And, um, you know, second year, we led the race start to finish, uh, much tougher conditions. I, I do want to qual qualify that, but our time was five days, 15 hours and 43 minutes. Uh, we set yet again, another world record. And at 25 years old, when I was supposed to be dead, when I was supposed to be blind, you know, I stood there as, um, world record holders, um, with seven other people with type one diabetes and, you know, still one of the prouder races, race moments of my life. And, I think that's the reason everything that's happened since then has happened since then. That's amazing. Have you ever seen, or did your mother ever see that doctor again? Like since you've been doing. So the, the, the doctor who. Um, who told your mom that you wouldn't no. live past 25. No, no, okay. no. But you know, the my <laughs> pediatric endo, Larry, Larry Deeb, he he's become a good friend. Um, you know, I remember a conference in Turkey when I was 30 years old, I was giving a speech. He was giving a speech and I, I asked him again, I said, am I going to go blind? And he goes, no, 
because you made it this far, you know, you will probably never you know, knock on wood, right? You know, probably, you'll probably be fine for the rest of your life. And I was like, thanks, Larry. And, you know, we've worked together on access to medicine projects in Africa and developing countries because, you know, while I'm alive and well, I've never had to worry about insulin. I've never had to worry about test strips. I've never had to worry about continuous glucose monitoring. And there's still a lot of people in the world who do. Um, but it's been fun to see you know, what an impact helping diabetes underprivileged diabetes populations uh, can mean to those those children and their parents. And um, it's been an honor to work with Larry on that that project. Amazing. Amazing. I have so many questions. And that that was such a wonderful summary. And I read your book and I remember the candy bar story very vividly. And I think as for a lot of children, that's that's a lot of motivation. And sometimes I even tell my son that I'm like, hey, you want like, you know, a burger and fries. We have a lot of, I don't want to say like designer burgers, but really yeah. good quality burgers. I think that's happening throughout the world in a yeah. lot of places. And that coupled with like fries and, you know, everything else can be really tricky, but we've experimented. And I said, you know, if you have this kind of for lunch and then you go do some exercise after the results are just incredible after, after doing it. When you started doing more extreme sports, did your, your mom ever say like, you know, that because extreme sports takes a lot, it's very intense. Um, and you know, just for those parents that are listening, that when they, some of them, sometimes they see their, their child really, you know, going for a sport or wanting to do something and they're still not really sure about it. Did your mom ever have moments where she said, Oh, you know, maybe pull back a bit or she just said, keep going. Uh, I'd say if you say, what was she saying to her, herself? You know, she was scared or to, to death. you to, her, to herself. Yeah. I can to, imagine. Herself, <laughs> she was scared to death. Um, you know, but to me, she never let me think that there was something I couldn't do, right? And and I'm very, very, very grateful for that because I never felt different at home. You know, it was just, you know, it's like brushing teeth. You know, I had to check my glucose. I had to get insulin. She was, she played some games though, because when I went to football and baseball practices, you know, the key with diabetes is always be prepared, right? Always, you know, always have food, like mm -hmm. If we do things right, you know, maybe glucose is going to be perfect, but if we do what we think is right and the metabolism is different that day, then maybe glucose is not going to be perfect. So you have to be prepared for when it's not perfect. And she gave me this pink cooler. Why Why the hell she gave a short kid with um, plenty of other things to make fun of me about a pink cooler to take to football practice and baseball practice? I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I would always carry that big pink cooler with, you know, juices and milk and stuff just in case I had a low that, I, and I could carry my diabetes pack in there and not worry about the heat of Florida, which similar to heat where you are. Yes. You know, very was, similar. You know, but when I would go on long bike rides, the thing I didn't know was that she wrote pretty detailed you know, memos to all of my coaches. And uh, she went into the bike shop with the guys that I started going on these three, four five hour bike rides on the weekends with. And was like, if my son dies, you know, hell will have no fury like a mother's rage. And and she told them, you know, via detailed, you know, word documents, like, you know, essentially what she says, if Phil's acting any dumber than he normally acts, give him some sugar and then make him check his sugar, make, make him check it. And, you know, I had a good buddy, Chris Slayton, who would, you know, as I started going on these long rides, he would always wait. And he was always worried, like, that, you know, diabetes was slowing me down. I just, I had no talent at that point. You know, I wasn't good. 
That's why I was getting dropped. It wasn't diabetes fault. But then as time went on and I, I became a better bike rider, I learned how to fuel better. You know, it was a group of guys I was fortunate to have in my life at a young age. And yeah, you know, look, you know, you talked as we were speaking before the show about, you know, Aaron, who's an amazing kid, you know, having some of the rebellious natures of a teenager. Right? I'm not going to say I didn't rebel, but it was because of sport. Like I'd never rebelled against diabetes. Right. I, I had sport in my life and maybe it's improv that you have, or maybe it's acting or maybe it's school of something you want to be good at. If you want to be good at something, you really have to, you have to be good at glucose control. Uh, it's for anything in life. And so, you know, I didn't clean my room. Uh, I didn't do laundry. I would, you know, skip dishes or uh, I would always end up doing them. Or, But when it came to diabetes, I was always on point because I wanted to be a good athlete. And, um, and so, you know, you know, but yeah, it was, my mom was scared, but she, she never let me feel that fear and she never let me think that I couldn't. And that's something that, um, I'm very, very fortunate, uh, to, and she also let me control my glucose, right? I think I don't want to place any critique, but I, if I could advise, give some unsolicited advice, uh, to the parents of children with diabetes or let them take care of it, right? It's, you know, you're there to be in the background when something goes wrong, uh, but, you know, I was managed my glucose at home during the daylight hours at six years old. So I had 12 years of practice before I went to college of, you know, making those decisions on my own, seeing the consequence of those decisions. How do I adjust? How do I learn? So by the time I went to college, I was pretty well prepared to, you know, own it 100% of the time. And uh, in college, I, I told my friends and all, you know, uh, all throughout life is, you know, just I act any dumber than I normally act, you know, give me sugar, you know, give me a Coke and then, you know, make me check my, my glucose. And, you know, the friends who needed help at some times, they, they were there to help, uh, but they wouldn't have known what to do if I didn't educate them. So that's, you know, we're not weak, we're not different, but if one day we make a mistake and we have low glucose and we need help, you know, people around need to know what to do. And so that was important lessons I got from my mom. Amazing. I love that. And so you talked about then wearing the CGM in the race across America. And as I did not know that, correct me if I'm wrong, CGMs are not allowed in professional bicycle races. They're now, although they've been used in professional bike races from 2007 now through today, um, two years ago, the UCI governing body governing body for cycling did ban them granted for people without diabetes. So ah. if you have, if you have type one diabetes, you can use a continuous glucose monitor in okay. professional competition. Uh, if you don't have diabetes, then you're not allowed. And yeah, again, managing glucose, glucose matters for all of us. Um, type one, type two, you know, pre-diabetes to professional athletes who may never have diabetes. Um, it matters and it's matters for health, not just for performance. So yeah, uh, we'll get them over the line eventually, because uh, especially for female athletes, where mm -hmm. chronic underfueling has you know near-term hormonal impacts and long-term fertility impacts, this is a tool to optimize health for athletes who put their lives on the line on a daily basis. So we'll get there. It's just going to take some education and a chance to meet, which I keep asking. Okay. Yeah, I saw one of your open letters. And I, I love that, that you're such an advocate for, for all athletes to use this. And I didn't know that. I thought it was all athletes, including type one, because actually the way that we met, it, I could 
thank my father for that because he was visiting Dubai. He loves to kind of surf the Arabic channels. And when he, like he was here again in, in last January and he'll be watching like the falconry or the camel races on TV. And then yeah. he came across the channel and it's in Arabic, which he doesn't speak, but he saw this bicycle race and he's watching it. And he said, I think this guy on the bike just checked his blood sugar. And I was like, come on. No. And, and I'd heard of team Noah before, but I wasn't following so closely. And he's like, no, really come. And I think they have like, you know, Novo Nordisk on the Jersey and whatever. And I looked and, and sure enough, I heard the word diabetes between all the other words that, you know, none of us really understood. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So then I went online to um, check and sure enough, you know, the, the team was here and they were racing. And then I started tracking it every day and was so desperate in some way or excited to take Aaron to just come watch the finish just to see that there's people doing amazing things with type one not that he ever felt bad about having it but I could tell when he was younger and into basketball and if he had a low and had to sit out and that was really frustrating for him so I think it's always good for anyone even adults to have good role models of people going above and beyond and doing amazing things so one of your racers, and I forget who it was, he, and later I asked him about it. He said he dropped the lancet and you handed him, I think, a lancet from the car window or something. And then he was pricking his finger. So at that time, though, he wasn't using a CGM in the race, I guess. No, he, he was. But if you know, sometimes, you know, back then the sensors could drop off. Ah, and, okay. And, you know, if you would lose a data point and, you know, it goes into, you know, the line across, right. Of yep. back, So you still have to know. And so yeah. it was resorting to the backup option of, okay, let's go old fashioned, check the blood glucose and then. Take okay. It okay. Um, yeah. That was some amazing bike riding. I don't know how fast you were going at that, but maybe yeah. that could have been the record for well, fastest the, speed ever to check a blood sugar. The, the young man that you met, and I still remember you know, the final stage when uh, you and Aaron were there you know, to, and just, Patiently waiting and waiting as Quentin went through his podium celebration. And yeah, you know, this side it was it was awesome. And Quentin, you know, you made his day because he had a like like we we like to race bikes, but we like to race bikes so that we can have that connection and it takes 30 seconds to change someone's life forever. And Quint Quentin, yeah, he's still one of the most special people, you know, and in, in my heart. Yeah, you know, I, I met him when he was 16 years old. Oh, you know, great, wow. a great bike racer, but you know, diabetes control was not something he worked on. You know, his hemoglobin A1C was, I think, 13%, you know, when we met and he came to, you know, a Team Nova Nordisk talent ID camp. Um, he, you know, that was in 2013. The next year we had a junior team, you know, his A1C had started to come down. He won three stages at the Tour of Abitibi, which is one of the biggest junior races in the world. And it was just for him, that first victory, you saw this fury come out with his hands in the air. And he said, when he had his hands in the air, it was to say, I told you so to everyone who had ever doubted me. Cause I, you know, again, back in the day, if you had diabetes, people did doubt you. And look, as a kid, growing up as a kid is hard, no matter what, right? Every little difference is some weakness that someone can, you know, you can develop insecurities with diabetes. is pretty societal. Like everyone thinks used to think, you're different. Now we've proven that wrong. Now there's people with diabetes doing amazing things in every walk of life. Um, but Quentin went on to the junior team, development team, pro to the professional team. And 
I think that was his best result ever. Uh, at the start that day, uh, Team BMC, which was one of the best teams in the world, said, Novo, don't attack. You know, there's no we're winning this jersey. You, there's no chance. And that and here we are, this this lowly team, you know, fighting for you know survival in the Peloton. And you know, Quentin's like when you challenge him and say you can't, then he does just to prove you wrong. And so he worked so hard to get in the break, and then he won two of the sprints, and then you know, Andrea Prone got ninth place that day, and we got to take a world tour jersey uh, for the points classification. And it's like it's hanging in my office, and as is the first email he ever wrote to me when he was 13 years old, saying it was his dream, his dream to come be a part of our team. And so that's, I think, the message for all the the, the listeners: just you know, inspire your kids to dream. You know, and if you have diabetes, find something to dream dream about. You know, it could be being a grandparent. You know, that's a beautiful dream. And if that's what's going to motivate you to be the best you can be on your diabetes journey, then you know, bravo. Yeah, you don't have to be a pro athlete. I mean, I'm a participation athlete now. And it's for me good enough. I control my glucose so I don't get dropped very early. But it's fun to go out and participate. It's fun to be with people that you have a common you know, drive for. And you can teach, you know, people with diabetes are we know more about the metabolism than anyone else in the world. And if we get high glucose from a meal, guess what? The person sitting, and I now know this because of Super Sapiens, uh, the person across from you, if they have that same meal, they're getting the same glucose response. You know, we just have the data. And so we can use our data and our learnings to help make society healthier, which is a, I think this, we're in the second hundred years of life for people that have diabetes now. And this is the year, this is the century for us to be the leaders of health and well-being for all of society. It's a uh, type ones will be the superheroes in the generation to come. And um, maybe it's one of your children who, you know, changes the world for the next generation. So dream big. Yeah, I love that. And I always say that to to parents that, especially newly diagnosed parents, because as a parent, I know what that's like, or even if it's someone that come to me and said, Hey, I'm insulin resistant, or I have type two diabetes. One of the first things I do is I'll ask them what sport they like to do or their child likes to do. And then I'll send them some names, but I also always send them the introductory video of team Novo and it completely changes their whole outlook on the potential of what life with diabetes looks like, what you can do, which is amazing. Like in a matter of seconds, I, I, it's really, I hope that you all like collectively realize the impact that that has because it's to watch it is, is one thing. And then, I mean, to feel it is another thing, but to see that at diagnosis, like just days after you've been told your child has type one and maybe the doctor said, Hey, don't, you know, keep them, keep them calm. Don't do sports like things that you were told. And it's, it just really changes the entire picture. So, and, then, uh, and, and I just, I, I thank, thank you um, for, for that. I mean, it's, I think sometimes the riders forget the impact, but you know, I was at a race in Denmark a couple of years ago and this kid came up and his mom says, you know, Halte was destroyed because the doctor told him when he was diagnosed, he'll never race a bike again. And, you know, and the kid that had been his dream his entire life. And so he was crying, crying, crying for oh. two days. No, that was at the absolute worst moment in his entire life. Yeah, your dream's finished. Go away. And his brother, you know, similar to you, his brother found a newspaper article because we were racing in Denmark and said, well, Halte, there's uh, there's a team. It's called Team Nova Nordis. Every rider has diabetes. You can race a bike again. And the kid like read the article, 
the tears evaporated. He put on his cycling clothes and went out for his first ride. And you know, now he's on my development team. You know, oh, four amazing. years later. So it's just, yeah, I I'm fortunate to, to hear this, but I'll make sure and pass it to the riders as well. Please do. Anytime anyone needs to hear it, I'll say it. Like I, I can't. It, it's almost something you can't even verbalize because it's so intangible and so inspirational. Like really, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really life changing for so many people. When you talk about Super Sapiens, can you share a little bit about how that evolved? Gladly. Um, so Super Sapiens exists because you know, I had to solve a problem for the athletes on the team of an Nordisk, right? I mean, we, we've we never done a race without a continuous glucose monitor, but a continuous glucose monitor in your jersey pocket is not giving you any data that you can take action on. And sometimes cycling is very hard and it's, you know, to take it one hand off the bars and reach back to look at a number, you just say, screw it, I'm going to go with it. And so, you know, and all of my riders were having typically one bad day per stage race, you know, but it was unpredictable. And so I, we'd worked with a few different companies to try and get glucose to the bike computer. And finally, in um, 2018, uh, Chip Hawkins, who's the founder of Wahoo Fitness, which is based here in Atlanta, Georgia, they're a sponsor of ours, they were a sponsor of ours then. Um, and actually this Saturday is the anniversary of five-year anniversary from when Chip said, yeah, Phil, I'll do that for you. Uh, I said, other companies have tried, they failed. He goes, no, I can do it. I'll get it done. And, and December 12th, 2018, I did my first bike ride with, you know, CGM on my bike computer. I was just blown away about, you know, how much things changed and, you know, and over the next 15 days, I learned more about optimizing nutrition and insulin timing on the bike than in 15 years of racing a bike with a CGM in my jersey pocket. Well, this is the best invention I've ever had. I can now exercise with 1,000% surety of safety. You know, no fear of hyper, hypoglycemia, the ability to control for hyperglycemia. You know, it was like I was 15 years younger from a fitness perspective right away because I had perfect glucose all the time. So... You know, I worked on the plan to bring it to market. Uh, you know, first was let's let the athletes of Team Novo Nordisk test it. Um, at training camp, the same they had the same reactions that I had. We changed so many things. They started going faster. We did a call it an observational trial at the Tour of California in 2019, and an eight day World Tour stage race. You know, uh, best athletes in the world were there. A very challenging race. Over eight days in competition, we did not have one data point below 72 milligrams per deciliter. So not a single hypoglycemic event among seven riders in an eight-day stage race. And I, I was able to, you know, been able to build this machine of Team Nova Nordisk based on, you know, great relationships with companies like Nova Nordisk, right? Who they've got drugs that help people manage, but drugs without hope, you know, you're not going to get good outcomes, right? It's drugs without, with hope, but without exercise, you're not going to get outcomes. It's not just, there's no magic bullet for good control of diabetes. It takes, it's a full circle approach. So I kept asking people without diabetes who had had transactional relationships with consumers, you know, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to bring to market. And I don't have diabetes. I'd buy that. I don't have diabetes. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. And so I heard it enough times to say there's something here. And I was able to meet with Abbott in you know, May of 2019 and say, I want to bring your technology to the non-diabetic world through the lens of sport. 
and use Sport as a platform to launch it. And you know, I just had a name, Super Sapiens, no business plan, no employees. You know, and he said, "Let's do it." Or he said, "Interesting. Can you come back with a plan?" And then uh, Fitz Allen Crow, um, who's I've had the pleasure of working with for ten years now, uh, joined me in that meeting to get our business plan and everything scheduled. And in June of nineteen, we pitched it again. The following week, it was endorsed at the very highest levels in the company. And I put my own capital in to hire our first round of employees and start building the technology to bring Super Sapiens to market. Uh, you know, in the world of sport, it typically takes seven years for new technology to reach the mass market. Uh, so we really were intentional about trying to work with the best. So in cycling, we we started working with Team Jumbo Visma. Um, it was Project Yellow, which we signed up for. So I don't know if you saw... They won the Tour de France last year. They won mm-hmm. the green jersey in the Tour de France last year. They're leading the women's uh, Vuelta Espana right now. But they were the first athletes to start using Super Sapiens. Uh, and they learned a lot. And they gave us immediate validation that there's something here. They hadn't figured out everything and all the hacks for how to use this technology for optimization. But they knew there was enough magic dust here that with proper research and protocols, they could improve significant percentage points by having this data. And you know, it took two, you know, call it a year and a half because the tour was moved, you know, one year. So, so it took a year and a half or two years project for Project Yale to come to reality, but they finally did it. Um, and we did the same in triathlon, the same in running. Uh, we've had the pleasure of having Elliot Kipchoge, you know, wearing sensors for his last five, six marathons. Um, Hassan, who was a female, just won the London Marathon. You know, she came across the line with a, you know, Abbott's Libre Sense and mm-hmm. using Super Sapiens app on our arm. It's used in Formula One racing now uh, by the team who continually wins that. in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been cool to see it pick up. And yeah, but what we didn't understand was, you know, for those of us within diabetes, you know, glucose is a language we know, right? We speak the language. We know what causes spikes. We know what causes drops. We know where we feel best because we've been quantifying it for so long. We didn't realize that we had to teach a completely new language to this audience. And so it's been, you know, call it one of the big, call it challenges, opportunities slash work in progress uh, is how do we, how do we educate people without diabetes on the importance of glucose control? And then, you know, also understand that, you know, we can't give generic recommendations because we'll be wrong for two thirds of the population. Uh, Cause there's, you know, people without diabetes, there's three different glucotypes that we know about. You know, so you drink a Coke fasted, one group goes like this, spike up, crash down, another more mild up, more mild down, and another like very slight rise and drop. And so it's taken us a long time to learn about the, the metabolic individuality uh, that each person has. You know, when it comes to metabolism, we're all snowflakes. And I think, you know, you, the diabetes audience and listeners, you're going to say, yeah, of course, right? Like at Nova Nordisk, Team Nova Nordisk, we have... Some riders on the bus that start with a glucose of 90 because they spike at the start of exercise. Others start with a glucose of 200 because they drop at the start of exercise. Others like to start somewhere in the middle because uh, we're all unique and we all have to find our own way to do things from an insulin dosing and timing standpoint. Well, guess what? We're not alone. It's the exact same for everyone without diabetes. We are so much more alike than we are different. Um, and for me, of course, someone who's been as immersed in glucose data for so long, it's been a massive validation to know that like it's it's not as easy as you know one would think 
And that's if you have a functional pancreas. So for us all to do what we do, um, having to call it manually, manualize our, our metabolism, like I'm really proud of everyone with diabetes, frankly, because yeah, it's not easy. Like we know it's not easy. You, you know, it's not easy. Uh, but it's something that when we do it right and we stay with it and committed to it, you know, we can do anything anyone else can do and we can do it better. Uh, and it's the power of glucose control that allows us you know, to dream like this. That's true. It is a superpower. I, I, I truly believe that. And when I was watching team Novo and I thought, because I can, you know, understand a little bit from what I see in my child's blood sugar, that if it's good and in range, he's feeling better, he's doing much better in sports and performing better and even cognitively in school, everything, it affects everything. Then if you don't have that number or you don't have that indicator, even if you have a functioning pancreas, you don't necessarily have that. I don't want to call it an edge because it's not, it's exhausting, but it is like some kind of superpower. So professional athletes are using it, but one of the big questions, and I had a discussion earlier on the podcast is do people without diabetes need to be using CGMs because it is in some populations becoming kind of trendy. And before when I would see people like in the gym with a CGM and I re- I'll never forget, I went to um, one kind of boot campy workout and there was a woman with a CGM on and my workout was affected because I started to like the mom in me started to worry and watch to make sure she didn't have a hypo while she was exercising because it was intense. And, you know, she would likely have had probably type one diabetes. But now if I see someone in the gym or out with a CGM and I think, oh, they, they just might be wearing it for different reasons. Yeah. Is the general population educated enough yet to really optimize this technology or what needs to happen to have people make, make sense of the the numbers that they're seeing and, and, you know, the information that they're getting. Yeah. So, so as said, like it's a new language, right. And it takes time and it takes immersion uh, if you're going to learn a new language. And I, I say that because I've got, I can speak just a little bit in a bunch of languages, but I'm not proficient in any aside from English because I've never just immersed myself. Mm. So the journey of immersion does take time. Um, we need data, we need science, we need the medical community to see how this technology can be used for people without diabetes. And that that will come. And we've got some 25 you know, investigator-initiated research trials around the world so that we can scientifically understand you know, how to use it. I think everyone should have a sensor on their arm at some point, right? Uh, if you're you know, a high-performer, biohacker, athlete, you probably want one on your arm all the time. Uh, if you just need some basic guidance for behavior change and nutritional optimization, you can learn a lot in a month about you know what does what to your body. And you think 90% of the time people eat the same things, right? You've probably got 10 scattered meals that 90% of the time you eat those 10 meals. So in a month, you can learn what those 10 meals do to you and figure out, well, maybe I need to exercise before this one or exercise after that one, or maybe I don't eat this one or these five are really good for me. But I think that behavior change that you get, it doesn't last, right? It lasts for probably another six weeks after. And then you you start to forget, you know, you're not being watched. So then you put one back on and then recharge. So I think a large part of the population, mainly like the pre-diabetic audience, 
which in the States, there's you know, 90 million people with prediabetes, 20% of teenagers are prediabetic in the States today. You know, we can, we've seen such powerful behavior change once people see this data. So in fast forward 10 years, everyone will wear one at least once a quarter. That's my prediction. Uh, or maybe it's non-invasive sensors. You know, Apple was going to come out with one. Now it's it's seven years away um, is what the latest you know, metrics have shown. But at some point, it's going to be really easy, really low cost for people to use continuous glucose monitoring. Um, and I think governments will begin to see that as a you know, health economic standpoint of investing in sensors will maybe not save money in the population today, but in 10, 15, 20 years, you know, it's going to rapidly decline, uh, not just the cost of diabetes, mainly type two, but the comorbidities that come along with diabetes and the lack of a work capable population. Um, so that was a roundabout way of saying, no, the population's not yet educated enough, um, but it's coming. Like, like you said, it's, you see a person in the gym now, do they have diabetes or not? Right. And it's becoming a little bit more trendy. It's still expensive technology, but like we've done, and I, I say this, you know, please take this with, you know, humbleness and humility that of course, you know, when we started with team type one and then into team Nova Nordisk, like it was impossible. It was a niche, you know, this was you know, not going to really make an impact, but we stuck with it because we, we had interactions like we had with you to prove the point that this is worth it. You know, changing one person's life is priceless. And we use sport as a platform to now like debunk every stigma associated with diabetes that's ever existed in the world. And we've done so not just in America, not just in developed markets, but, you know, Japan, Africa, you know, places all around the world, you know, thanks to the power of connectivity, you know, if you have diabetes, you're going to find out about us pretty quickly. And, and so I think that I take that same lens with super sapiens of, you know, we'll use the lens of sport you know, to build the platform and build the awareness. And then ultimately it's the fans of the sport whose lives will be touched, who will try it out and will have that, you know, aha moment to say, wow, you know, I, I want to be a part of that family too and come on board. So it's not going to happen overnight. I'm, uh, let's say much less naive to that than I was four years ago when I started this journey. Um, but I'm still as optimistic today as when it was just an idea and a dream and, you know, really excited about all those early adopters who have tried us out and changed their lives and set new records and, you know, are now better versions of themselves. Right. And yeah, it's, it's fun. And I've learned a lot from people without diabetes, right. It's, that's, what's been also exciting. I've changed a lot based on what I see in data with people without diabetes, which allows me to be better. Uh, so all we can be is the best of ourselves and no matter who you are, where you are, that's what, Super Sapiens wants to empower. I mean, that's what Team Nova Nordisk wants to empower. It's, it's for me, it's all just one big mission to get the world healthy. And I believe this technology, you know, for us at Team Nova Nordisk is the reason we've been able to race professionally for so long uh, and so consistently. And at Super Sapiens, you know, it's you know, we have the power with the technology to to get to validate the importance of exercise to society and make it easy for people to say, I've got to work. But actually, I have an exercise today, so I'm going to go do that because my long-term health depends on it. Let me just tell you all, you're trying to sense or not, you have that freedom. If you want the day, what I learned when I was six years old, the days that I'm in the pool, much easier to control my glucose. It's the exact same for everyone who's listening. Uh, so get out there and get active. 
because that is truly the billion dollar drug that uh, is free for all of us and you know, is going to make us all better. Yeah, I love that because so many people forget, not, not everyone. I mean, people with diabetes, we know that, but a lot of people forget that. And I often hear or, you know, get articles or news things of, oh, you know, this, people are looking for like this kind of wonder cure. And as you just pointed out, movement is free. Um, you know, for most of us, just even going to to take a walk or take a run or go for a swim, if you have access to something, you know, a place where you can do so, then that's the most affordable thing that everyone can do to change their health. So I could talk to you all day. I have so many more questions, but I know that your time is precious and I'm sure you have a lot to do. So I think I will pause it here for now. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for, for joining me and sharing your story and giving us some insight into super sapiens and your vision for the future. I have no doubt with your, your drive, um, that it will be a success. I'm sure it already <laughs> is. It's, it's already on its way, but I'm sure it'll become even more successful. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Great to see you again after, after so many years, um, please tell Aaron, I said, hello. Yeah, I, I think will. That, you, know, you know, diabetes only chooses the champions. Um, and you know, I can't wait to see what what he dreams up uh and then goes on to achieve in his life because no, amazing kid. You. And really you you made our day um uh, when we were there. And oh thank you. Know, you. And Quentin still smiles about that interaction. You know, I was with him last week on, on yet another crazy bike ride adventure. And um uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll pass on. Oh yeah. Please send him our regards and, and to the whole team. Like we so, so appreciate it. Um, yeah. When Sam brand put Aaron's name on the bike, like that video, I think I do big mom ugly cry. Like every time I see it, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it was such a, such a great day, such a great day. So thank you so much for yeah. the work that you do and inspiring us all the time to do more. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. So that was just an incredible episode. That was an incredible discussion. And I am so grateful. Thank you again, Phil Sutherland and your team for making the time to speak with me. It is always an honor and privilege. And it's truly an inspiration, not just for me, but I'm sure for others who listen to the show. If you've never checked out Team Novo or any of Phil's work, please do so. And we'll have some links in the show notes where you can find Phil and follow. And it really is life-changing. So we went, when Team Novo was here and finished the race in Dubai, and Quentin Bolognas, who um, Phil was referring to in the race that got a podium finish, um, and broke out from the Peloton and got the Jersey. We were cheering the loudest. Maybe, maybe I was cheering the loudest. We were elated and so happy and so excited for them. And it, I, I noticed that we were so excited. I remember there was a man standing next to us that didn't know who was on the podium and maybe he just happened to be there and didn't really come to watch but he saw how excited we were and how loudly we were cheering. And then he started to do the same and then it just kind of became contagious. And that is what inspiration does. It is contagious. Um, and the work that Team Novo does, I think, has a long lasting effect. Their their motivation is contagious. And it really is true that after I talk to people who have watched their videos, and while diabetes is still hard and still a shock, 
it does make it seem like things are not as challenging. And I don't want to undermine the challenge because it is challenging. You do have to do the work. It's a lot of hard work, but it does make so much more seem possible than what we initially think or what we're initially told after that diagnosis. So I really want to thank Phil for coming and also for his time. The first time we met him after that podium finish and they were all packing up and exhausted from the race. I'm sure it was a long several days, a long week. And from far away, again, my father was with us. We were having lunch at a cafe and he said, that could be, that looks like the guy that was on the podium. And we walked across the street and just to say hello. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who was there. But we just went over to say hello and thank you and congratulations. And my son was with me and they stopped and they took time and just talked to him. And that, the like, like Phil said, you can really change someone's life in 30 seconds. Those few seconds or about a minute or so that we spent was so precious. And sometimes the impact and changes and things that people do, it doesn't always have to be something huge, but taking that time, that 30 seconds, I think that's another, another lesson that I always get out of this is big change can happen in just a very short time and, and positive change as well. So I could go on because I'm still super excited and pumped after this lovely interview and discussion, but I'll stop here for now and we'll, we'll keep you posted on, on what Phil is doing as well as we, we follow Phil and Team Novo closely. So thank you all again for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please uh, rate it, share it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us. That helps other people find out about the show. That helps other people find out about the guests on our show that are so inspirational and helps us keep doing what we're doing. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.